The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. And away we go. It's another edition of the Arrowhead Pride Editor's Show. I'm the editor-in-chief of ArrowheadPride.com, Pete Sweeney. Joined once again by my esteemed deputy editor, John Dixon. John, if I would have told you a month ago that after three weeks, the Chiefs would be (laughs) under 500, what would you have said? I I would have said, well, I guess it's possible, but I don't think so. Improbable probably is the right word. Yeah. But, you know, it's not like we didn't identify these opening five games of the season as a tough road. We did. We we knew these were going to be tough games coming in. And I, I think that I said once or twice that if we got through these first five games at, uh, you know, uh, four and one or three and two, we'd be in good shape. And we could still do that. But, uh, yeah, I, I didn't really expect this. No, I didn't either, but it is what it is, as Eric Bieniemy alluded to, and we'll get into that. But first, I got to tell you, if you like the Arrowhead Pride Podcast Network, please go to Apple iTunes, leave us preferably a five-star rating, and share us your thoughts on what you think of the podcast network. We appreciate it. If you haven't heard it yet, go back. We have an emergency podcast on Josh Gordon coming to kansas city we'll talk about that on this episode we'll go through our world famous marinated takeaways the best chiefs thing we heard all week but i think it's important that we start here john with the news today of andy reed we all know what has happened on sunday after the game andy reed was feeling a little bit ill left the stadium in an ambulance checked into the hospital. Dave Tobe did the press conference, which was a little bit weird coming out of the loss. We found out that night that Andy Reid was in stable condition and resting. And then on Monday, the, the Chiefs Communications Vice President Ted Cruz joined the Zoom conference call, and he said that Andy Reid had been released from the hospital. He is in great spirits and would be champing at the bit to get back to work either on Monday or on Tuesday when Wednesday hits coming up now it should be business as usual we think I I think it'll be important to see Andy Reid when we do the media and the practice availability and whatnot uh, on Wednesday and maybe a little bit more clarity on what exactly happened on Sunday but all in all right John good to see and hear that the head coach is in good spirits and doing well. Yeah, I mean, we have to assume that this ended up being a a minor problem. Um, You know, if it had been particularly serious, I would have thought they'd kept him in the hospital for a couple of days. Uh, So I think it's reasonable to think that this was just, you know, some kind of weird thing that happened. uh, You know, well, I mean, didn't agree with him or dehydration or something. Yeah, we don't really know. We're completely speculating here. So I want to note that before I'm about to say what I'm about to say. But it was 90 degrees on Sunday. At Arrowhead, mm-hmm. I know a lot of you guys that are listening to this podcast were out there, and so it was hot. And yep. Andy Reid is sixty-three. When you're in your sixties, John, as you would know, you got to sometimes check things out just in case, right? And so maybe I, this was—I do know a, that, yeah—a grand yeah. pr- precaution of Andy Reid, just making sure that all is good. It seems like, from what we know, all is good, and I think it's a big sigh of relief. And I—I I thought it was telling that they 
made a deal of this on Sunday Night Football on a, on a really exciting game between the Green Bay Packers and San Francisco 49ers. You had Al Michaels and Chris Collinsworth really breathing a sigh of relief when it came to even America and the NFL as a whole. Just just another subtle reminder of how much Andy Reid means to this league. And it's not just a Chiefs thing. It is a general league love right. that's, that's shared for the head coach. Right, and I think that's something that we can easily forget as Chiefs fans is is how much the Chiefs are viewed as one of the teams – that's at the top of the league right now. And we're not used to that. You know, it's been a long period of time where we were anything but that. And uh, it's, it's kind of interesting that in a situation like this, we really get some perspective of how we are viewed uh, by the rest of the league. If, if we don't get that message from uh, other teams coming in and playing us as if it's their Super Bowl. <laughs> That's right. what you've now seen uh, for a couple well, of games this regardless year. Regardless of the head coach, if you win a title, that's going to be the case for the, right. the years after. And the Chiefs are certainly getting that right now. And we'll get into that game and what happened on Sunday in our marinated takeaways. So Andy Reid, as far as we know, doing well. We'll see what the update is on Wednesday when he is scheduled uh, to join the media. Typically, that'll happen at 11.45 a.m. Arrowhead time. So Stay tuned to our Twitter, our website, and whatnot. We'll have an update there. John, I'd mentioned the emergency podcast we did yesterday. You are unavailable at the time to join us. We got a few of our takes in. I shared a lot of my thoughts. If, if you're interested in that, we had four of us from Arrowhead Pride on there sharing our immediate thoughts after we found out the news here. Josh Gordon is coming to, let's be clear here, the practice squad of right. the Kansas City Chiefs. That was quickly a point that a lot of people wanted to note that Gordon won't necessarily be playing against the Philadelphia Eagles. I guess that, I guess that's possible, but it seems uh, it is a little bit less plausible at this point, considering he needs to get in a little bit of shape. We're seeing that with Le'Veon Bell, for example, in Baltimore. Mm -hmm. And right. you need to learn the Andy Reid offense, which has historically been a learning process. And so talking about maybe two, three, four weeks until we even see Gordon, uh, but your immediate thoughts, your reaction to this news that Josh Gordon is coming to Kansas City? Well, I think the practice squad thing is a is a big tell on this. Um, if they thought that he could be an immediate contributor, they wouldn't be fooling around with that. They'd just be signing him to the active roster. And so clearly they don't think he's going to be an immediate contributor and that he's going to take a little time to get it together. And also, there's some risk in signing a player like this. He may not be everything you want him to be. You don't want to take up a roster spot while you're figuring that out. So this is exactly the right situation for the Chiefs, is to put him on the practice squad, see what they've got going on. Uh, they they invest literally, well, it's not nothing, but nearly nothing. Those practice squad salaries do count against the salary cap, but they're like you know $12,000 a week or something. That's nothing in salary cap world. And I think in the end, what we're going to see is that this is a, a move for the off for the uh, for the postseason. Um, right. You know, as you note, uh, it's going to take a while for Gordon to be fully versed in what the Chiefs' offense is all about. Um, and at the end of the season, he might be a guy that could be a, a contributor that other teams don't have any tape on. Yeah. And, uh, and the Chiefs would be able to use him in ways that other teams don't expect. So to me, this seems like a move uh, with the postseason in mind. Yeah, I I guess I would I would disagree only slightly. I don't think it's going to be anytime soon. I, I think that initially the news that was coming out was that Gordon might be available to just jump on the field week four. Mm -hmm. I don't think yeah. you're going to see gordon in kansas city and i think it's a little bit earlier than the postseason i think it's more of a second half of the schedule thing sure. philadelphia here's how the schedule goes it goes philadelphia buffalo you wish you could have a healthy josh gordon but i i just i don't i think that's too soon washington maybe but i think the tennessee titans october 24th which is about a month from this recording seems reasonable to maybe see josh gordon so long as everything stays okay, meaning he is taking mm -hmm. to the playbook, he's getting in the shape, he is staying out of trouble. This is a player for various reasons who has had six suspensions. We can't really ignore that. But the right. upside here, and, and I've said it a, in a couple places, if, if you haven't heard my commentary on this, I'll say it again. 
the upside here is through the roof. Uh, I, mm-hmm. I, sure. I know that a lot of teams are probably, especially in Cleveland and Seattle and new England, where Josh Gordon has been probably look at this and say, yeah, okay. You know what? Good luck with that. <laughs> right. But good luck with that. Because if it doesn't yeah. work out in two or three weeks, the chiefs wave him, release him, whatever it takes. And he's out of the mix. The upside here is Antonio Brown in Tampa Bay, because you had Buffalo that tried to trade for Antonio Brown. It sounded like he was traded for a night and then neg- reneged the deal. And so he ended up back with the Steelers. He ends up with the Raiders. That was crazy. And then when he signs with the Buccaneers, you probably had Buffalo and Oakland saying, hey, good luck with that. And now Tom Brady has essentially turned Antonio Brown into a real viable receiver for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, a part of that offense when he's not on the COVID-19 list. You connect him with one of these otherworldly quarterbacks it suddenly gives you a lot of reason to want to stay out of trouble, to want to stay on the field, to, to revive your career and not having played two games in 2013. Now, granted, we have to say that that is eight years ago, 1600 yards, the stupid number for missing two games of a season, John. So yeah, it really, it really is. And, and we have seen where even receivers who have been around the age of 30 remain productive. I think about Adam Thielen uh, in Minnesota, for example, and in Antonio Brown, I just talked about. And so you have this possibility of Josh Gordon coming in and finding a way to be productive. And if there's one small silver lining to all the trouble he's been in, he doesn't have a lot of wear and tear on him that you would otherwise have in a full seven or eight year career. And so, you know, you talk about Brett Veach and his low risk, high reward. This is the definition of that, right? right. You could like, put this in an encyclopedia and say yeah there, there's a low risk high reward move and this would fall right into that category picture of josh gordon right there yeah well another thing too uh, the practice squad move gives them one other option uh, even when they get to that game against tennessee if he's if supposing that they think he might be ready that early and he might yeah. be um they don't even have to put him on the roster they could elevate him for a couple of games Right. And, uh, you know, it looks good right now. Let's see what he looks like. Elevate him for a game or two. And then if it doesn't pan out in a game situation, no problem. Still no no risk. This is this is really a, a sharp move, I think, for the Chiefs that they were able to get him that way. It is worth watching whether the Chiefs end up protecting him if they need to keep him on the practice squad for a little bit. They haven't really been using the protections as much as other teams have been around the league. Mm, uh, so That's right. But there have reportedly been multiple teams that were interested in Gordon prior to signing in Kansas city. But uh, I don't think this is a, a quick fix for your uh, wide receiver two by committee that you're getting right now, which has not really worked. I know McCall Hardman has flashed a few plays, but it doesn't seem like he's necessarily grabbing that role by the horns when it comes to a reliable player, for example, downfield, it's been more of the orchestrated plays for McCall Hardman. Marcus Robinson doesn't know where the end zone is. Byron Pringle has left some room to be desired. And so here we go. We'll see what Josh Gordon can do in a couple of weeks. Where is Defoe, by the way? I know Sean BK, Ryan. I I haven't seen Defoe either. Um, (laughs) All right, let's move on to uh, the snap count lessons. John, you dove into these snap counts from uh, the Chiefs and Chargers. We'll get into our takeaways in the next segment, our world-famous marinated takeaways. let's, Let's go over what you learned from the snaps. Well, um, I, you know, obviously the big thing, everybody was watching for what uh, Juan Thornhill, uh, Thornhill would do in this game. And he got more snaps, but he didn't get the kind of snaps you'd expect uh, for somebody who was coming in to replace Daniel Sorensen, which seems to be the thing that people are focused on at this point, is that uh, Thornhill should be out there in place of Sorensen. Sorensen didn't have quite as many snaps as you would normally you, see the yeah, starting I a, safety get. Yeah. I have a quick point on this and, and we're going to go yeah. over a little bit of what Spagnolo and Bienemy said yesterday. You can get that on from the podium on the zoom conference calls, the full from the podium has the full press conferences from Monday. But one thing that stuck out was Steve Spagnolo emphasized that the chiefs are really trying to get into their dime looks early. Mm-hmm. So he's not ready to make, Juan Thornhill necessarily the Dan Sorensen starter role, but he's trying to force second and longs and third and longs. Mm-hmm. You get the dime yep. look, and then suddenly you could have three safeties on the field. And so I, I just that jumped out to me when he said that during his press conference. Yeah. Again, go back to from the podium. Continue, John. 
Yeah, well, and my speculation, without you know looking at a detailed charting of the game, is that uh, Thornhill was out there for those third safety looks and got a few snaps as in the two safety looks. I mean, that's how the percentages would add up in any logical way. And and it was an increase of what we saw in, in week two. So that's a step forward in the eyes of many people who want to see Thornhill on the field all the time. So that's that's a good thing. Um, I also thought um, the other uh, the other big thing uh, from the game was Ben Neiman's snap counts. And this is, again, a place where uh, fans want to see another player on the field in his place. Of course, at this point, who would that be? Uh, you know, we haven't seen a lot of production out of uh, Darius Harris or mm-hmm. uh, Dorian O'Daniel. So at this point, as long as Willie Gay is off the field, Ben Neiman's going to get some snaps. Now, having said that, he had fewer snaps than he has uh, had for some time, and they were different. The character of the snaps was different. Uh, normally, he's a guy who's typically on the field for more passing plays than rushing plays. But in Sunday's game, it was the opposite. He was uh, emphasizing rushing plays over passing plays. And this is, you know, maybe that could have been something that just happened in this particular game because of a few snaps one way or the other. That's certainly possible. But last year, he had one game where he was used more against the rush than against the past and 11 games that were the opposite. So this looks like the beginning of a trend. Whether it turns out to be a trend, we'll just have to wait and see. Right. I, I mean, at this stage, Dorian O'Daniel, and I'm not even killing him here because you can make a really nice career out of being a special teamer. Sure. The Chiefs do not use him as a linebacker. I mean, it's almost yeah. like he should lose the LB position and just be ST Dorian O'Daniel. So that's not an option. It's interesting because Willie Gay is eligible to come off the injured reserve. He has been dealing with the turf toe since the preseason game against the Minnesota Vikings. We'll see how he impacts. I think this conversation we have next week will be important when it comes to the linebacker position because Gay right. will see if he is finally back in the mix. He'll have a, a big impact on who plays and who doesn't. How does Nick Bolton right. get used? Maybe Neiman finally doesn't really play all that much. I think that's a, a certain possibility when Willie Gay finally gets back into the lineup. Anything else that we need to touch upon snap count wise before we move on, John? No, really. Those those are the big things. There was a lot of uh, a lot of stuff in the snap counts that just seemed to be, you know, more of the same. Right. Uh, you know, and uh, those were the two biggest things that I noticed uh, while going through the data this week. But you're right. I, I think if Gay is actually able to come back for the game against the Eagles, uh, then we might have a lot to talk about there. Uh, now, whether he will be back is unknown. I mean, we assume that this injury that he has is not particularly serious and that he'll be back after the minimum number of games have elapsed on injured reserve, but we don't really know that. So I think the over and under on the number of questions that uh, Andy Reid will be asked about Willie Gay tomorrow (laughs) could be pretty high. If you're wondering, wide receiver-wise, past Tyree Kill, D-Rob is still matching about Tyree Kill at mm-hmm. 54, McCole Hardman at 50, Byron Pringle at 29. And so even in the snaps, I, I think you can see a reason why the Chiefs want to get Josh Gordon in there because it, it seems like the receiver they trust the most is D-Rob. We know what he can do. We know what he is. He's an average receiver. He has his limitations, whereas, again, Gordon, once he's ready, and we'll see, mm-hmm. can provide you uh, the additional upside. So that is – I'm sorry, go ahead, John. If nothing else, uh, it would give defenses somebody they feel like they need to watch carefully. Just and because you're seeing they, yeah, after week yeah. one, these teams are, are giving Tyree Kill a lot extra attention, yeah. and it's impacting his numbers, and it just offers you that Sammy Watkins role. And I, right. I know that we, we downplayed it quite a bit, but Sammy, when he was healthy, was good because he, mm-hmm. he really had to – had you really had to pay attention to what Sammy was doing and like D Robin Marcus Robinson is not Sammy Watkins whereas Josh Gordon I keep saying it a lot of ifs but if he can just get on the field could match that production that Watkins provided you six foot three and 225 pounds is something that you got to remember you know there's not a lot of even human beings that are of of that stature and as athletic as Gordon could potentially be so lot to look forward to, and we'll see how this plays out. So that's Andy Reid 
talked about Josh Gordon, and we wrapped up the snap counts. When we come back, we'll get into the world-famous marinated takeaways. Stay with us right here on the Airhead Pride Editor's Show. Well, I'm going to let this marinate. You know, let that one marinate, and then we can circle back. Adapt. React. Readapt. It takes time. It takes years. <laughs> That's the takeaway. Back here on the Arrowhead Pride Editor's Show, Pete Sweeney, John Dixon, coming off the Chiefs' second loss in a row. It doesn't even make sense to say. 30-24 to 24 to the L.A. Chargers. We've now had two days to think about it. John, as I always do, I'll let you take the first marinated takeaway from this game. Yeah, after the game was over, I, I uh, in my piece after the game, I wrote some about, uh, about actually the last two games, I wrote about how uh, passer rating is a very predictive stat. But the other one that's really predictive for winning and losing is turnovers. And I think what we have seen in the Chiefs' three games so far is a unbelievably uncharacteristic string of games. Yeah. Um, you know, the, the Chiefs were eighth in turnover margin last year, seventh in 2019, sixth in 2018, second in 2017. Overall, during the time that Andy Reid has been the Chiefs head coach, this is from 2013 through 2020, the Chiefs are number one in turnover margin over those eight seasons. Right, right. And right now, three games into this season, they are 26th in turnover margin. And here's another thing, too, um, that I think found interesting about the game. Uh, the Chiefs have played in their history 36 games where they've had a turnover margin of minus four as they did on Sunday or less. You know, uh, they've given up more turnovers than they've, than they've picked up. In every one of those games, the Chiefs lost. Just one of those games was a Chiefs victory. So that tells you what you're up against uh, when you're uh, in a situation like that where you've given up four turnovers and haven't brought any in of your own. It makes it very difficult to win the game. And uh, the Chiefs have rarely done it in their history, and they they didn't do it on Sunday. But even at the end of the game, they were in it and had a chance to win without that last turnover. So um, I think that tells you something not only about how unusual this situation is for the Chiefs, yeah, uh, and the likelihood that it'll change to the better here in the next few games, but also how good the, the Patrick Mahomes is. That in a situation like that, that he could actually be in a position to uh, to come back and win in the in the final drive of the game. Yeah, I agree with you here. I think it actually, and I'll be careful here to say it, but it's actually impressive that the Chiefs were down four zero turnover wise mm-hmm. and were in position to win by one point that's incredible really uh, in in the sense of you have this margin and and you put that margin in any game across the league it might be a blowout especially if the team is able to take advantage and you should not even be sniffing a chance to win it with Mm -hmm. two minutes to go like the chiefs were it didn't happen it didn't happen and so the turnovers cost them and and eric b had noted look you change that it's a it's a completely different situation but it is what it is they are a one and two team because of the turnovers and i i think and this was my point that i'll you know parlay into yours john i think you're seeing a shift in strategy of how to play the chiefs we know about the aggressiveness but after that tyree kill 75 yard touchdown that completely changed the cleveland browns chances what you're seeing teams do is make sure that tyree kill has extra attention and really taking out the deep ball altogether and they say you know what if the chiefs want to methodically check down to travis kelsey run screens run orchestrated plays for mccall hardman and beat us in 10 to 12 plays well that'll give us 10 to 12 chances to turn the football over and it worked right it, it, it worked um you're not really seeing the the deep deep gains but the the defense is leaving room for the chiefs to play underneath and then when tyree kills are coming across that gives you a, an opportunity to knock the ball out when uh, Clyde Edwards Elaire is about 10 yards in front of the line of scrimmage as you're tackling him that gives you another chance to potentially turn it over and so I think that there is a recipe what's wild about this is the recipe is very very hard to execute and succeed with right. the weird thing is we've seen outliers two weeks in a row and so that mm-hmm. has led to panic city and I just think 
we just need to relax because it's very hard to pull this off. Even though it's happened twice in a row, it's very hard to win this way. And like a team like the Eagles shouldn't. I, I, I say it every week seemingly, and I'm wrong every week. <laughs> but the Chiefs should blow this team out of the water next week. Yeah, even with what has happened the, the past two weeks. We'll, we'll, see if, we'll see if that happens. But you, you saw that what the, the Cowboys were able to do to the Eagles on Monday Night Football. That should happen again. And, and I, I will predict and I believe it will because eventually we're going to be right here. Yeah, and going back to your point about uh, taking Hill out of the game, if you're putting two guys on Hill to take him out of the game, well, that means that if he gets a pass, as he did on Sunday, there's a guy who's tackling him and there's another guy trying to push the ball out. You know, that actually makes it easier to force that turnover on Hill uh, when you're double covering him that way. And Hill, Hill to, to, to his point, and I don't, I don't blame him for this, but Tyree Kill, if you watched, he is not a player who gets to pass on the sidelines and embraces contact. A lot of times he'll duck out. And mm-hmm. not to say that I, I blame him because what is a yard or two going to do, especially if you're past the first down marker? You'd rather have Tyree right. Kill healthy because he's so key. But that mm-hmm. it, that's on film, too. If you can just surround Hill with two guys and he kind of sees, look, I might be able to get maybe two, three more yards out of this. He just ducks out. And, and it is what it is. But that's a part of his game. Mm-hmm. Right. No, I agree. I agree. All right, John, what is your next takeaway? Well, um, I thought that Edward Zolaire started looking like the guy we drafted on uh, Sunday. I mean, yeah. we've seen spurts of this during his rookie season where he would uh, dart through the line. But what I saw on Sunday uh, was a guy that not only got 100 yards on the ground, the stats were great, 5.9 yards per carry. That Everybody would be happy with that if that's what we had from Edward Zolaire all the time. But he looked the part. I thought so after the game, and the more I think about it, the more I think that that's right, that he looked like a guy who can get that job done. And I think it's also important to note that because he was doing that, the Chiefs were able to run the ball a lot more often than they have in the other games that they've played this season. On Sunday, they had 30 rushing plays versus 46 uh, passing plays. That's actually a fairly high percentage of rushing plays for the Chiefs. And I think it. I think Andy Reid would have said after the game, we wanted to to use the rushing more in this game right. uh, to keep the the offense from you know getting crazy. Uh, that that was part of our strategy, and they were able to make it work because Edwards Alaire was doing it. He was he was finding the holes when they were tackling him. He was dragging people down the field to get extra yards. You love to see that from running back. I th- I thought he looked great on Sunday. You saw some of the questioning. Uh, after the game with Clyde edwards and was there an emphasis to put more on the run game? No, it, it was what the Chargers were doing and what a lot of teams are going to be doing is taking the deep region away, what I just was talking about. And when they do that, you got to be willing to run mm-hmm. the football. And the Chiefs are, and, are... And take what they'll give you, which is another thing that Mahomes has been a lot better at this year. Right. It's, it's crazy because there are little intric- intricacies where the Chiefs are better but they just have not translated to wins right. so it's hard to compliment on them on that, yeah. those type of things my next one uh my second one here bear with me because uh, okay i think we might just be focused a little too much on the on the red zone defense and i tried to explain this a little bit after the game i tried to explain it one of my thought process here on the on the radio this morning i i think so Right now, the Chiefs are 11 of 12. They were able to finally get a red zone stop after 11 in a row trips that ended in a touchdown. That's not good. I'm not saying that whatever. That you shouldn't be concerned about that because at some point down the road, again, there's going to be a, an opportunity to win a game with a red zone stop, and the Chiefs are going to need to do that. What I mean here is, so you're talking 11 of 12. I don't know what the percentage is of that, but it's, it's high. What is it, 90? It's got to be 90-something. I, I don't know, yeah, 90 yeah. whatever percent. It's above 90, yeah. Now you get, even right now, I mean, it's early in the season, you, you're able to muster up two or three red zone stops where you're holding them to a field goal on next game. All of a sudden, you're approaching the 20s in the league. You do that the next game, you're probably you know 50% in the league. It's not going to take a lot of red zone stops because just in general, it is hard to stop teams from scoring touchdowns in the red zone. We're only losing sight of that because the number is a ridiculous 100%. Right. What I think is becoming more important for Kansas City in the way that teams are playing them, 
is the opposing 25 and the 50. And what I mean by this is once you're in the in, within the 20-yard line, a lot of times you're scoring touchdowns anyway. Now you're seeing teams across the board. It's not just John Harbaugh in Baltimore who has done this forever against every team. It's Cleveland. It is L.A. where you're seeing teams go for it on fourth and nine in your territory. And so what you can do is if you're able to get stops, and we saw it at the beginning of the game for the Chiefs, pin them deep in a, in a touchback fashion, and then you really have 25 yards where you're in three down territory because we have seen a drastic change in football period against the Chiefs now mm-hmm. whenever a team is able to get past the 50. It's a lot harder for Brendan Staley to go and say, okay, it's fourth and four, but we're on our own what, 37. Can we really afford to go for this? Mm-hmm. You probably right. can't. Now you're on the Chiefs 37? Easy decision. So yeah. what's more important? Is it the red zone defense where more often than not you're going to surrender points? Or is it this magical window, which we don't even have a name for, in Kansas City between the 25 and the 50? <laughs> to me, that's <laughs> the new point of emphasis for the Chiefs right. because of this insistence on going for it on fourth down. You know, you and I had a brief conversation about this the other day, and and I'll I'll make the point now that I made then that the whole concept of the red zone as being from the 20-yard line is kind of arbitrary. If you go right. back and look at the history of this thing, there was a statistician for the Broncos who just kind of picked that number out of the air. Let's start keeping track of how we do uh, inside the 20-yard line, both on offense and defense, and it's become this thing that uh, that people hold up as this big standard. And it's right. not that there's no value in the statistic, but really what it, the if you're going to choose a spot where it ought to be something we keep track of, it ought to be around the 30, 35-yard line. That is the point where you can no longer kick a field goal. More than the you red know? area for me, like to me, what I'm most worried about the defense right now, I like red, yeah, exactly, red area seems meaningless. What matters to mm-hmm. me right now is, on fourth and short, when these damn mm-hmm. teams are insisting that you that they go for it, you have right. to stop. You have to start mm-hmm. getting some stops because that'll be put on tape. And then all of a sudden, teams won't be doing that so much anymore because it's going to lead to swings. And then in that 25 to 50, just present the prevent the, the, the decision altogether. Prevent the decision from altogether because no way is a team going to want to go for it on fourth and five from their own 28-yard line, right? So early down, early drive stops to me are, right. are imperative at this point in the new fashion the teams are playing the Chiefs. Right, I agree. And and going back to your point, I think that 30, 35-yard line is the point where it becomes a no-brainer decision for an opposing team to go for it on fourth down instead of kicking a field goal. And, and the, same uh, should be, the same should be for Kansas City because yeah. of the other mm-hmm. reason, because the offense is so good. Uh, and mm-hmm. and we are seeing Andy Reid, I think, lean into that more. He wasn't when Mahomes first took over. He certainly yeah. wasn't in the Alex Smith days. But now I think the messaging has gotten across. You have Mike Frazier, the analytics guy for the Chiefs. He's probably like, Andy, you know, probably like 67 <laughs> percent if we go for this, you know, to, as far as winning, winning the game. And at that point, you're like two thirds. That's that's I- enough. I would not want to have Mike Frazier's job to be to be finding all those nuggets all the time and whispering no, Mr. Andy's Reed, ear about with it. Your twenty-one years of experience, you're yeah. incorrect here. Just so yeah. you know, <laughs> yeah. and I have the numbers there, to prove it in my hand. Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay, John, your your final takeaway, from, marinated takeaway from this game. Yeah, um, you know, after the uh, the Ravens game, I was making the point that uh, you know, giving up a lot of rushing yards isn't a big deal in the NFL. Um, there's a lot of teams that focus on rushing the ball and they can have success just like Marty Schottenheimer's chiefs did in the early nineties. And you can win a lot of games that way, but you can't do well against really good teams that way. And that's why, uh, you know, why the chiefs would love to be better against the run. They can afford to give up rushing yards and still be in a position to win a whole lot of ball games. They've done that. Uh, since uh, Alex, uh, since uh, Patrick Mahomes has been the quarterback, not since Alex Smith was the quarterback, since Patrick Mahomes has been the quarterback. Um, but they cannot afford to give up as many passing yards and uh, as many touchdowns as they did against the Chargers on Sunday. That is something that they cannot do. That's something they got to fix. Uh, I'd even put that up higher than uh, than the, the, the red zone issue for the very reasons that you mentioned, Pete. 
uh, is is they got need to get those stops done earlier. And that comes from being better against the pass. And on Sunday, they just weren't. Travis Ward Appreciation Day. Uh, yeah. You know, we yeah. we sort of I wouldn't say poo poo is the right terminology, but we kind of just overlook what Ward mm-hmm. means to this team. He was a, a little bit of a surprise to be out in this game. We thought he might end up playing. He was injured and then Rashad Fenton goes down and then you're down to Mike Hughes and DeAndre Baker in his first action. I thought Baker looked pretty good, but again, yeah. um, he, he got the penalty called on him. I didn't agree with it. I don't think it cost the Chiefs the game. I think it was more the four turnovers, which we talked about already. Uh, but yeah, you, you'd like Ward to be there. I think that Ward-Hughes-Sneed combination is where the Chiefs are throwing their confidence. I, I think Baker did put some good tape out there. We'll see if he now pushes for more playing time, maybe over uh, a Hughes. But the, the more healthy cornerbacks, goes without saying, the better the Chiefs are going to be. Um, all right. Uh, my final takeaway here is just a, a reality on the AFC. And <clears throat> I think the 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 takeaway that I have about the playoffs, it's like it's so early. But one of the things we discussed on this podcast was how these games count just as much as week 16 and week 17, where the playoffs are right in front of you. And I thought the Chiefs right now, and this is the only thing they've lost, in my opinion, they've made their road way more difficult when it comes to clinching a bye week because you already have two mm-hmm. losses. You know, we think that that team is probably going to be around 13 and four, if not 14 and three. So now you've given yourself one or two losses of margin for error, and your two losses have come against teams that could be ahead of you. If the Chargers yeah. win the division, that's obvious they're ahead of you. If the Ravens can find a way to continue winning, they're going to be up for that AFC bye. They already have the head-to-head tiebreaker. And then, you know, the AFC record right now is one and two. It's your exact record. And so you've hurt yourself for the bye. Now, here's the good thing. The two teams that are undefeated in the conference are the Raiders. And let's let's chill on the Raiders. They won two overtime games. If everyone is saying, okay, the Chiefs could be 3-0, and the Raiders could easily have the same record as the Chiefs. Whenever you play in overtime, you never know how that's going yeah, to go. So right. if, you get the, mm-hmm. if you get the ball first, you score a touchdown. You went the other team, you have to have it. We know that well mm-hmm. in Kansas City. Yeah. So, so <laughs> to me, and and guess what? You already have two games left with the Raiders. You can give them those two losses that you've already suffered. So that's fine to me. And the Broncos have just had the easiest schedule known to man. They're the other undefeated AFC team. So the good thing here, if you're looking for bright sides, is there's a lot of season left in front of you. You can still give both the Raiders and the Broncos the two losses to make that up. You can take care of that. Uh, yourself and to me every other team in the AFC has one loss already and that is a little bit lucky considering your real slow start but if the Chiefs just just can put three or four wins together and all of a sudden you turn around and you're five and two with a win included against the Buffalo Bills you're feeling a lot better about the season because of the way things have sort of played out I know this is going to sound weird but if you're picking undefeated teams that you'd want to be undefeated at this point, the Broncos and Raiders are pretty good good teams to pick because you, <laughs> for the most part, own them, yeah. own them, and and what I'm saying is, is it's all right there. Like I said, I think playoff buy is now going to be interesting no matter what because you have to be clearly the best team in the conference, and these games that can go either way. Typically, if you're going to be the buy team. you have to get those games and the chiefs have surrendered these close games. So now it's, can you start piling up these wins, put yourself back in, in better position and play yourself back into that. But I I think it, like I said, it's, it's a grand messaging of there are so many reasons to feel good about the team. If they clean up the turnovers, that's a step forward. And there's just so much football to go and things have played out in a way where you can still kind of get yourself back into this. Yeah, I think you're making yeah, I think you're making really good points here. I, I would I would be a little cautious about the Raiders and the Broncos at this point. I mean, you're absolutely right. The Chiefs will have the opportunity to make up those those uh those games against those two teams because they play them twice. And that's the the both the upside and the downside of your division rivals. Um but uh, you know, the Raiders uh really could be pretty scary. If Derek Carr has a good year, if they, if he can be a, a, as good as he was last year, they're going to be a team to watch. I don't think they're going to be contending well, to win one, the AFC West. But one thing I can give the Raiders about Derek Carr is this this way that he's playing early in the season, where he mm-hmm. is fearless and throwing the ball downfield. Mm-hmm. 
in past years, he's played two games like that against the Chiefs. And so yeah. I've always said, if he could just play like that against the rest of the league, the Raiders right. would, have a, would have a lot better of an opportunity. And he's doing that for once. I, I disagree completely on the Broncos. The Broncos, or our power rankings are going to come out. They've played the three worst teams in the league. Giants, Jaguars, Jets. They're the, those are the three worst teams in the mm-hmm. NFL. I don't know how yeah. they got this golden schedule. Yeah. They're about to get the Ravens, the Steelers, the Raiders, the Browns. Washington has been shaky, but then they're, they're, they get the Cowboys. So that's five of six games that could very easily be losses for the Denver Broncos. So, so their toughest part of the season is the second five games instead of the first five games. The first three saying. games have just, yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. if the Chiefs had ever lost to those, one of those three teams, okay, I, I'm with you. Let's panic. <laughs> the Giants, the Jaguars, or the Jets at this yeah. point, the, it, it, you can't do it. And so the Broncos uh, have had that kind of play into their hands a little bit there. Yeah, well, I just, uh, you know, I think it's real easy when you've been so dominant in the division as the Chiefs have been uh, over the last, you know, well, all the way through uh, almost all, I guess, of Andy Reid's tenure with the team. It's pretty easy just to dismiss these teams. But, you know, they're working every year to get better and improve their opportunities in the division. And I, I think the Raiders in particular uh, might be a better team than we give them credit for. Uh, and I don't like giving them credit. I hate those guys. I've always hated those guys. I will go to my grave hating those guys. And uh, I don't like that, but I think I have to be fair about, you know, what their chances really are. I hate the Broncos, too. And, Pete, you're right. You, I, I'll have to back away here and say you're right about that because I hadn't thought about the competition the, the Broncos have faced up to this point. I think you're probably right. That at some point they're gonna they're gonna just disintegrate right in front of our eyes. I can agree but with I'm, you that the, the Raiders are interesting. The Broncos are certainly coming back to us, and it might be as yeah. as quickly as Baltimore this week. That's what I yeah. I, mean, I think. So yeah, well we'll see. As always. okay, just want to talk briefly about the coordinator press conferences. I've said it before. I'll say it again. If you want to listen to what the coordinator said on Monday, you can go back to from the podium right here on the Arrowhead Pride Podcast Network. I thought it was a strange day without Andy Reid. A little bit of a, a weird feeling right now in Kansas City. I think it'll be good to get things back to normal on Wednesday. It's a big week for Andy Reid. Andy Reid is going for his 100th win, once again now for the second game in a row, with the Chiefs franchise, or third game in a row, I should say, with the Chiefs franchise. And if he's able to clinch it, he'll have 100 wins with the Chiefs, and he gets a chance now to do it because of the unfortunate circumstances against the team he already has 100 wins with. And so... A little bit of a cool wrinkle that came because of unfortunate circumstances. So we'll, we'll be great to see Andy Reid on Wednesday. Steve Spagnuolo this week, uh, John, as, as you heard, he talked about the good and the bad. He felt like the team was better at rush defense on early downs. And he also thought the tackling is better. That'll get better if Willie Gay is re-entering this lineup as well. And you, you kind of hope that Fenton is able to play his back way back into the mix out of the concussion protocol and Ward and just get healthy. Frank Clark has been such a disappointment. And it, I think you're a better team with Frank Clark in the lineup than without. But this is very clearly his last year in Kansas City. I, I don't think there's a way, even if he played fairly well, the rest of the, he would have to play out of his mind at this point for there to be any consideration of the Chiefs not moving on from him after this year. I don't I, I don't think the Chiefs should regret their decision on Frank Clark because it led to a Super Bowl and he was so mm-hmm. critical in a title. Mm-hmm. You can't forget that. The Chiefs won a title after 50 years of not having a, a Super Bowl title. I feel the same way about Sammy Watkins. I used to kill Sammy Watkins. I was wrong about that because it led to a championship. He was so important in that championship run. So that it's hard to get on these deals, but it's time to move on from Frank Clark. But back to the Spags point, because I'm, I'm digging myself a hole here. But there was good and bad. <laughs> bad in the red zone, letting up too many points as usual. Need to come up with stops in big spots. But you got to feel okay that the rush defense looked a little bit better. You got that two-man tandem you're going against this week in, in Miles Sanders and Kenny Gainwell. And then the tackling was better, which, which you're going to need against some of these talented Eagles receivers. Yeah, um, you know, I I feel bad for Spagnolo at this point. He's done a great job with the Chiefs, um, and he's the defense has not been up to our expectations. I think we were expecting a lot more from the defense uh, going into the season than we have seen up to this point, and that reflects properly on the defensive coordinator. And I I think he's getting a, a lot of heat 
from fans and some people in the media as well um, because the team hasn't played as well as we expected it would. So I feel bad for the guy. Um, I'm not sure that he deserves all the criticism that he's getting. He certainly deserves some criticism. I mean, I, you know, he's ultimately the guy who's responsible for that. But some of it's gotten kind of over the top. And uh, there have been some good things. I think we did see some good things from the defense on, on Sunday. Not enough yet. Uh, you know, I already talked about the giving up the passing yards as being a problem. Obviously, they need to do better in the red zone because it's just going to be more and more difficult to stop teams uh, once they start going for it on fourth down every time they get inside the 40-yard line. So uh, these things have to be fixed, and those things are on Spagnolo. but uh, I, I certainly wouldn't want to be in his shoes right now. Yeah, I thought – Mike Dana having a little bit of a come up this week was good to see. I really liked Mike Dana in training camp. I said it, and then he was a little bit invisible mm-hmm. these first couple of weeks with Frank Clark out of the mix in, in, in a way. And wow, he looks great on that sack. The Chiefs are, are not giving up on Chris Jones and this idea that on early downs he's going to be an edge guy. He needs to be better. Uh, I mean, it, it, yeah. if for the position switch to make sense, he's got to be better. Uh, I think that goes without saying. But the Chiefs know all these things. Not like they don't know. I mean, yeah, they know. Right. Like we're just saying it to say it. So they know this. Eric Bieniemy, his focus was on turnovers. We've discussed that at nauseam, but he also said fourth down plays. And he had a point about this. And I plan on writing it up at some point when I get some time here. But the Chiefs basically have a pile of plays waiting around for third and fourth down. And I think you this week against the Eagles, and I feel bad for the Eagles because I really think that this is the week the Chiefs pull out all the stops and write this ship. I, I really think they're going to be aggressive. I really think they're going to be going for the jugular. And I think it starts with uh, keeping the ball, A, football 101, keeping the ball, making sure you don't turn it over. But B, just if it gets to third down, calling your best stuff. I think the Chiefs have had enough mm-hmm. of this idea of playing around with teams and maybe trying different. I think they're going to go to Philadelphia, especially against the Eagles. So we know that history with Andy Reid and go and win this football game. That was the impression. I I think we got a very contentious EB yesterday. Like one of the reporters asked about the idea of the league catching up to the, the Chiefs. He laughed yeah. in his face <laughs> on Zoom. I, I won't name the reporter, uh, but he laughed in his face on, on Zoom. And he said, what are you talking about? Because the numbers are there. So right. you, you clean up a little bit and we should see this offense that we've been waiting for. Yeah, well, we'd certainly like to. And I certainly think that potential is there. It's, you know, executing on that, you know, not having the turnovers. You know, people talk about turnovers as if they're random. They're not exactly random or else you wouldn't see the Chiefs be so good at it over a long period of time. Uh, That just doesn't support the randomness argument. But there is, you know, some random factor in there. And uh, I think that we've just seen an an outlier and they need to fix it. And if they do... I think they're going to win a lot of ball games. Uh, if they'd fixed it in these first three weeks, they'd be three and zero, in my opinion. Uh, they just it just happened, and uh, you know they're going to do the things they need to do to try and what the, and limit that as much as they can. But it's not as if they're never going to give up another turnover. They will. It's just that they won't have as many or in the, in the, in the most critical circumstances. We hope. So one thing that EB kept saying yesterday, and I I, I took this away too, is something that stood out. So he just kept saying the record one and two, one and two, one and two. I got to imagine that this is his focus with the team all week. I think he's going to keep telling them that they're one and two. I really do. I, I really feel like this is a talking point that it just kind of bled through the media a little bit. And he's going to be saying this team, like, who are you? Are you one mm-hmm. and two or are you about to show mm-hmm. that maybe we're not? Right. Right. So, well, everybody really- who's on the team now is, is somebody who's come on the team since Andy Reid has been here. And this has just not been what we've seen from Andy Reid's teams, you know, no. that they uh, that they come out and are bad at the beginning of the season. I, I guess there was just one season. Was that 2015? I always have to stop and think about this, where they started out the season of one and five and then killed everybody the rest of the season. That's the, you know, and things were bad then, you know. But so that's why I trust this team to turn it around because we've seen Reid do that with his teams before. Um, it's not like this has never happened before. Uh, we have some, some history suggesting that he can do it, but I, I think you're right. I think that the point that you make at this point, if you're Eric B is going there and say one and two, one and two, is that what you are? Is that what you are? 
because I think that is going to be a big motivating factor for these players. They are proud people, all of them, everyone I've ever met. The Chiefs were one and five at one point, and were eleven and five. That was before Patrick Mahomes. Let's keep that in mind. All right, when we come back, we'll finish up with the best Chiefs thing we heard all week. Stay with us. Back here on the Arrowhead Pride Editors Show, Pete Sweeney, John Dixon, finishing up with the best Chiefs thing we heard all week. And John, this was tough for me. It usually isn't because someone somewhere typically says something <clears throat> where he's praising the Chiefs or a Chiefs point. I am not about to embrace what was the disgusting brawl at Arrowhead. We didn't we didn't even put it on our website because <laughs> we got to be better than that at, at Arrowhead Stadium. So let's go to Patrick Mahomes' words of wisdom after the Chiefs had their second loss in a row. Yeah, I mean, I think we're I think we'll be ready for the challenge. Um, really early in the season, obviously we haven't had many of these kind of we haven't had any since I've, I've been uh, playing quarterback here. We're behind uh, all these teams in our division. Um, but the bright spot is we got a long season to go, so it's just going to be how we respond and how we we go to work every single day. I liked there, and you'd only be able to see it if if you're watching the video or you watch the post game press conference. There's almost a little bit of a smirk right now in Mahomes, where you could tell he's not really all that panicked. He's con- he's concerned. There's a little concern about how they're playing, but I think he realizes like what's about to happen, and I just find this little little smirk thing to be a little foreshadowing into maybe what we're going to get over the next stretch. Well, I hope you're right. I'd, I'd love to see that. I'm, I've had it. I've had it with the start of the season. I'm done with this. You don't, you, need, you don't want you any need, more else. No, no. Let's okay. just, let's just do this thing that we know the chiefs can do and get past it because I'm tired of it. I'm tired of it. I'm done with it. I don't want to see it anymore. So that's my message to the chiefs, to the chiefs right now. Just stop yeah. it. Just stop it right now. Get this right. I also got to say this. Do you love the Salvador Perez jersey? Oh, man. Oh, man. Hits a lot of home runs. Doesn't win a lot of games. Just saying. I don't know if that had anything to do with the second loss in a row, but let's maybe get away from the Royals gear. I think that might be a a bad (laughs) omen. That's all I'm saying. All right. Ending in on a lighthearted note. If you love the Arrowhead Pride Podcast Network, uh, please subscribe, please rate, please review. Coming up this week, we got the Arrowhead Drive. You guys already heard out of structure. Great British Chief shows coming at you. Show and BK. I want to hear what Ron the Show Hughley and Brandon Kylie have to say about this current stretch and what the Chiefs need to do against the Eagles. As for us, for John Dixon, I'm Pete Sweeney. Thank you for joining us once again on the Arrowhead Pride Editor's Show.